Dave, it's Memorial Day, and uh, on Memorial Day, I wanted to do something special and bring, uh, and today we have John Arroyo, a retired uh, captain in Green Beret, has just fantastic story. So I'm excited to bring him on. Um, when we say the words Memorial Day, I know that's kind of a little bit special to you because you have different connections. So what comes to your mind? Well, uh, growing up, I remember uh, my... Uh, in the suburbs of Detroit, you know, we had so many, um, there was a large veteran community that um, coalesced there after World War II, a lot of the guys working at the auto factories and stuff. And so Memorial Day was kind of a big deal in my suburb. I remember my going and uh, with my family, sometimes riding our bikes over and watching the Memorial Day parade and uh, we'd have a flyover and then just different groups of folks coming. It was just a time uh, t- just to remember the the sacrifices that um, people had made. And I think one of the, the most, the moments that I'll always remember, there was a group of World War II guys, probably in their late 70s or early 80s when I was a kid, but they'd march through uh, in formation and there, it just, everything just sort of went quiet. And uh, then eventually there'd be clapping. But there was just a, a large amount of uh, honor in my house for people that had served, um, which is not, it's not Veterans Day. So it's a different, it's a different, you know, it's, it's remembering, it's Memorial Day. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of a, a big deal in our, in our house and uh, in our community as well. Well, in, as you mentioned, and in just, I think, remembering to, that you go back to even like 9-11, how many years in a lot of people of our generation <laughs> yeah. that, you know, how many, you think that 20 years ago, almost basically. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of times we forget sometimes and the sacrifices that others have made. And so today, um, bringing in John Arroyo and author of attacked at home has an incredible story. Some of you will remember several years ago, go a shooting at Fort hood, April 2nd, 2014, um, and it was all over the news and, uh, just, just, uh, a tragic day as yeah. someone on the base opened fire and John was one of the victims that was shot, but miraculously survived. So yeah. we're going to get into his story. I think it's just going to be a powerful, a powerful message. So here we go. Let's do it. You're listening to the Monday Christian podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkoff. As I mentioned in the intro, John, so good to have you joining us today. Thank you. Uh, Ezra and David, thank you so much for having me on. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, John Arroyo, Green Beret, retired Green Beret, and former Army captain, and served in the Middle East. And as you share in your book, author of your the author of Attacked at Home, you expect to come under fire when you go overseas. You mm. expect that, but you never think that you're going to come under fire at home at the safest place on, on an army base. And so some in our audience will know what I'm talking about when they remember that day from watching it on the news, but you lived it firsthand. So take us back in time, April 2nd, 2014. Well, as you just said, Ezra, it was, you know, the military bases here in the United States are probably some of the most secure facilities and locations here in the United States. And so that morning when I went to work, 
they checked my ID card. I was behind security. I was behind the, the guys with the guns, right? I was safe. So I start my day, I go on, it's, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be working at a, or going to a course that they had sent me to. And so the instructor tells us, hey, why don't you guys go back to your organizations and get some paperwork. So when we finish this course, you actually work on the paperwork from your organization rather than just doing some ghost file. And uh, so it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, I head to my headquarters and you know, this is a base of about 40, you know, 30, 30,000 troops, you know, so there's, there's people buzzing everywhere. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, everyone's getting ready to end the day in the military. You generally work to about six o'clock. So, you know, it's not fully over yet, but I'm, I'm pulling in the parking lot of my, of my headquarters and I shut the door. I was actually on, on the phone with my sister telling her about a, telling her about a vacation I was going to take my wife on. So, uh, I, I end the conversation with her. I get out and I shut the door and instantly I hear shots fired. Well, again, I just, Dave and Ezra, I, I just told you, I, I was behind security. I, I shouldn't have heard that. Well, because I was behind security, I began to discount the threat. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. You know, because in the, on military bases, as we talk about Memorial Day, the active duty organizations typically uh, we're the ones that show up at funeral details. So if you see a World War II veteran, a Vietnam veteran, uh, a lot of times those active duty units are there representing them and doing the, you know, doing the whole flag honors at their funerals. And so different organizations get tasked with that. So it's not uncommon to hear blank blanks being shot, you know, and, and things yeah. like that because they're practicing. So that's what I, that's what I thought about when, when I heard these shots fired, I, I discounted to, oh, they're probably practicing for a funeral detail. But then a car pulls up in front of me and I'm in a parking lot again. And, and I, I acknowledge the car and I acknowledge the individual, but something inside me, even though I wanted to discount the threat, something wouldn't let me. And, and I turned my head just, just inquisitive away from the car and the driver. And I turned my head to the right-hand side, like kind of looking towards my one o'clock. And right then the next shot I heard ripped through my throat. What I actually heard was the man that was in front of me in the car was driving down a road that separated my organization from his organization. And he's driving down the road and he was shooting at everybody he saw. But, so it was the guy in the car that was coming at you. It was the guy, it was the guy that pulled up and that pulled up in front of me was the guy that was shooting at everybody. So when I turned my head to the right, he had stopped, got a beat on me, but I, I didn't even notice him point a gun at me because I was looking at where he had come from. Wow. And the Good. next shot and the next shot I heard ripped through my throat. So I took a 45 caliber through my jugular vein because, again, I'm looking towards my one o'clock while he's directly in front of me. So my body's angled kind of to the right. And with my neck kind of kind of periscoped a little bit. Right. Because you're just kind of looking. And right then the bullet severed my jugular vein, went through my voice box in my Adam's apple and traveled straight through my right shoulder. And the driver he drives off. So he doesn't stick around. He doesn't get out of his car. He just drives off. I guess he just assumes like this guy's dead. Uh, he's not going to live much longer. Well, it, it was at that point like this, I felt like a baseball bat hit my chest. It was like, I didn't feel any pain. A lot of people ask me, did you have pain? What did you feel? I didn't feel any pain. I just felt like the wind was just knocked out of my, you know, I was just like, like I fell on the floor. And, and so I'm trying to catch my breath. And, and then I'm just kind of doing a self-assessment. I'm like, am I shot? Was I just shot? 
and as I start as I start taking my hand, my left hand from my chest to my neck, my worst fears were confirmed when the bright red blood just started coming out of my neck. And and so I turn and I I turn away from him where he was, and I start walking back towards my car. But again, I just took a forty five caliber through my throat, which most people shouldn't even. I should have just fell over dead. But For I, people I'm, that don't understand that, I need you to pause right there because I don't understand yeah. that. How when I hear that, I think there's no way you could survive that. So put yeah. that in context. Well, you know, a, a forty-five caliber round is probably one of the largest rounds in a in a small arms weapon uh, that we use. And as a matter of fact, the the your typical regular army use a nine millimeter, which is a smaller round. Well, your Delta Force operators, right? So you you're, you're more um, close quarter combat. You know, these guys carry forty-five because it's like one shot, one kill. They they don't want to shoot the person five five six times they want to hit them once and so typically with a 45 someone takes a 45 to the throat which is you know I, i'll tell women or, or even men you know obviously men if they're larger this, this doesn't apply to them but typically the the bullet that went through my throat was about the the circumference of your thumb the bullet that went through my throat is typically about the radius and circumference of your thumb and so think take your thumb and just imagine going through your throat and and this is and this is what one of the doctors told me later on and i don't want to get you ahead, get ahead of myself but you know just to put it in context the doc told me said john i could have taken my thumb and stuck it from your throat to your back that's how big of a cave that's how big of a a hole that that round made and he's wow. like how you're alive there's there's no explanation of it so as as, as i turn I, I begin walking away from walking back towards my car and i think i was just instinctively just trying to get away right just i'm just trying to get away from the threat I walk back towards my car and I just fall on the ground and I'm just laying there. And I and it, I don't know how long I was on the ground. It, it could have been a minute, it could have been seconds. I, I, I think now it was only seconds. So- Did, did time, like did people talk about time slowing down. Did did it feel like things are going in slow motion at this time? It did, yeah, it, it really did. And I could have been probably moving quicker than I thought I was, but I don't know, you know, because it just all of a sudden, it just like a baseball bat hits your chest and you're just moving. I don't know how fast I'm moving, but yeah, it was almost like I was in one of those uh, slow motion movie pictures, mm. you know, where things were just going slow. So I'm laying on the ground and, you know, here's, here's what your, your, I think your listeners need to hear. I wasn't thinking about my Facebook post. I wasn't thinking about how many likes I had. I also wasn't thinking about my emails that I had to turn around and send back to my commander that had been waiting for me. I wasn't thinking about how much money I had in the bank and was I gonna be able to take half of it out. I wasn't thinking about the vacation I just got off the phone with my sister about. The one, what mattered most to me is what came to mind. And it was my family, it was my wife, it was my children, who was gonna raise my children. I began to think about them and at that moment, at that moment, I'm thinking about them. But later on in my recovery, I remember thinking the people that I, the thing that I, that mattered most to me is what came to mind. But they were also the ones that I sacrificed the most, right? I sacrificed my family more than I did any anybody else, right? For my career, honey, just wait, I'm going to give you this best career. I'm working for the yacht. I did all those things. But when it, but when I came, when I was dying, I didn't think about the yacht. I didn't think about the vacation. I just thought about them. And right then I hear an audible voice. 
today I know it was Jesus at the time. I just, I, I wasn't sure if it was me speaking to myself and the audible voice says, John, get up. That's what I heard. And then I heard it again, John, get up or your wife is going to die. And Ezra and Dave, the, the, one of the things that I think I, I want to share is really important for your listeners is what God was telling me was get up because my wife was going to die. I was shot April 2nd. But just prior in September, when we moved from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where we had been for 15 years, and we were getting ready to make our move to Fort Hood, Texas, both my wife's parents died nine days apart. And her younger brother died two years before that in a hunting accident where her dad loads his gun. Everyone's getting their gear together. The gun goes off on its own, hits her brother, and the hippie says, I'm hit, never says another word. So in 2011, she loses her brother. 2013, nine days apart, she loses her mom and dad. Now we move from where we've been for 15 years. Now we're in a new location. It's kind of like COVID, right? How everything just went from certainty to uncertainty real fast. That's what our life was like. And, and to put it in a perspective this, that maybe your listeners can relate to, that's what happened to us. We had this perfect, we, we had this life where, you know, everything was good. My career was advancing. And, in, and within a matter of months, my wife loses her mommy and her daddy. We're in a new location and I'm on the ground bleeding out. And Jesus says, get up or your wife will die. When I read that, that was my immediate question. What do you, what do you mean by that? Right? So then I went to the back of the book and then, then I saw you that you mentioned that. Can you talk about the, the grief that she went through? And then a, a few short minutes, hours later, I think it's around four 30, uh, when Captain Cheatwood, I think, believe, I believe he uh, he comes and he knocks on her door. Describe what what she went through when she realized you had been shot. Let me say this real quick though, because I, this is important for your listeners. Is when I got up and I held on to my throat as I went walking, there was one soldier walking towards me. Again, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. There should have been hundreds of soldiers moving around, but there was only one coming towards me. And I'm trying to ask this guy for help. And he gets 10 feet in front of me and he's, and he's moving around frantically. And Ezra, what I realized is I was standing in front of the man that just shot me. He, dro he drove off, got out of his car, started walking. When I went looking for help, I ended up directly face to face in front of the shooter. And, he, and I'm standing there and I'm like, this guy's gonna kill me. He looks through me. He looks to the left, looks to the right. And then all of a sudden he just walks away from me like he admitted, like I wasn't even there. And what I realized is that Jesus blinded him. He walked in the building, he shot three more people, walks out the back of the building and kills himself. And that day there was 19 of us shot. So I just want to make sure that I that I include that because you know, the reason why I say that is because God is wants to do the miraculous for your listeners. And I just want to make sure that they capture that because God God is doing some amazing things. So let me answer your question. Well, just, just let's go back. Cause that's amazing. Yeah. Did, did when that happened, do yeah. you think, did he notice you at all? Or do you think like, cause that's, that's astounding. Yeah. So he didn't notice me because if not, I probably wouldn't be here talking with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people say, well, he, he must've just been whacked out or something happened. And, and I'm very careful on how I say this. When he walked away from me and walked in the building, he actually killed the very next guy. So I'm standing in front of him. We're 10 feet face to face. And he's, and he's looking around frantically looking for more people to shoot, which is that that's what alerted me. That's why I stopped moving towards him. And the only thing I can say is that Jesus blinded him um, because there's no there's no other explanation for it. Because when he walks in that building, he shoots three more people that are standing right in front of him, just like I was. And um, 
it's it's just it's just so miraculous. It's so miraculous. I can't and and you know one thing one thing that I one thing that I realize and Dave and Ezra this is important that in the Old Testament in in Daniel chapter three Jesus became the fourth man in the fire, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't stop him from going in the fire. And in and in the New Testament he tells Peter he says Peter Satan wants to sift you, mm-hmm. but I prayed for you. He didn't yeah. stop it, right? He said I prayed for you. And today in Colleen, Texas, God didn't stop it, but he stepped into the fire with me. Mm. And so your listeners, they're wondering what's going on in their life. They're wondering if God can still blind the enemy from their situation, from their sickness, from their disease. Are they going to, are they going to live through it? Is their finances, their marriage. But if he could do it in the old Testament, if he could do it in the new Testament, and if he's showing up on Colleen, Texas, just a few years ago, then he's going to do it for them. Mm. Amen. Wow. You know, Dave, it's interesting because we bring, uh, John, you know this a little bit maybe from studying us, we bring a lot of different people on and um, some people, it's like they will have miraculous answers to prayer and then others, it's, it's so who, who did we just, oh, the person we had on last week, H.B. Charles, yeah. he is pleading with God at one of the darkest hours of his life, just before his dad passes away. And and he knows, like, it's, it's like he can sense the voice of God saying, your dad is going to pass away. So you go back and listen to it if, if for those in our audience who, who haven't listened to it. And he can sense that's about to happen. And he begins pleading with God that he will allow him to speak to his dad one last time. But he, re- he senses clearly that the answer is no in this case. And that's just it's the direct opposite of what we feel like should happen. Like we feel like prayer should always be answered. Like, like, like in your case, uh, but in his case, he points back now that's about 20 years removed, how God taught him so much through the process. And Dave, just as I'm processing this all, it's, it's amazing how God uses different events in different ways to grab and grasp our attention. It's just, it's just astounding. Well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was I was actually thinking as as John was sharing, just um, perhaps you know you see it's it's an easy cliche thing to say, but you see the sovereignty of God even in this situation, and what the evil one meant for harm. Uh, now we're sitting here interviewing John about this, and I mean, as amazing as this story is, some of the the video you know you shared that video with me today uh, on the news. I just the way God is using John at this point, I just think how powerful God is that even he takes these terrible circumstances and somehow turns them around for good, not just for John, his family, but also for many other people that are in, uh, I mean, just, I'm just astounded at, at God's power to take these type of terrible situations and use them for his glory. John, let's go back in time. Um, one of the reasons that I told you before, off here before we began, I wanted to start with this event, but you have an incredible story that led up to this. So I'd like for our listeners to get a sense for how your story all connects together. And so let's just go back in time, talk a little bit about your childhood. Um, you talk about your father passing away in the book and just how traumatic in a, in a way that was. Um, go back. You didn't have an easy childhood. No, I didn't. And, and I'm going to share this scripture real quick because this is this will kind of tie in what what you're talking about. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And it says this, 
Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, right? That's what you just said. I didn't grow up good. Hmm. He said, instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame yeah. those things, they, they, uh, those who think they are wise. Yes. And that's it. Why did God save me? Why did God take a young kid that we're going to talk about right now? that whose father died when I was five years old of cirrhosis of the liver, um, that got jumped into a gang at seventh grade, had a kid by ninth grade and doing methamphetamines by 12, because there was no father figure in the home, which you could turn on the news and you can really pretty much see a fatherless generation. They're burning buildings down right now. Yeah. Right. Um, mm. and, and so, yeah. The influences outside my home became greater than the influences inside my home. And so God is taking that scripture that I just read to your listeners and telling and, and just referencing and letting them know that if God can take this young gangbanger, drug addict, no daddy having man uh, from the streets of California, bring him into the military and do all these things and all these great things. Because when I was later on in my conversations with God, I said, God, I didn't deserve what you gave me. I was a gang member, a thief, a cheat, a liar, you name it. And he said, well, guess what, John? That's great because I didn't give you what you deserved. I gave you what my son paid for. Hmm. And maybe mm. that's maybe that's what your listeners need to hear today. Wow. Maybe, maybe God hasn't given them what they deserve, right? He's not imputing their sins onto them. He did it already once and Jesus doesn't have to get back on the cross. Hmm. I feel like you've spoken on this a time or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and it's, I'm stuff. just being inspired to share this. But so, anyways, I, I grew up in California. I get it. I get into trouble, but I have a praying grandmama. I have a praying grandma, and many of your listeners, they're praying for their children. They're praying for, or 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 they're a product of someone else's prayers, right? Hebrews one says, "Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen." Guess what, John Arroyo is? I'm the substance. I'm that mustard seed that Grandma planted in the ground. Well, what happens? We water, we water these seeds, but are we supposed to see fruit tomorrow once we plant a seed? No, it takes time, right? It's seed time and harvest. Well, here I am. Grandma prayed for me. And through her prayers, I ended up in the military because I was going nowhere real fast. My sister would pour water on me when I would sleep all night from being on drugs and my grandma was praying for me. So one person was planting seed, the other person was watering. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well, cause you were going around and, and I read that in the book. I was kind of funny. Yeah. Actually, you, you yeah. if you stayed up all night yeah. should come in in the morning and literally pour water on me. Yeah. And, and here's another thing that, that I think is uh, important for your listeners. So I end up, my sister says, you need to get out of here. You'll be a loser the rest of your life. And I say, uh, okay, what do you, what do you think I should do? We should join the military. I'm like, yeah, not for me. But I, all of a sudden, something just intrigued my thoughts. I said, okay, let's go talk to this recruiter. I end up going to the recruiter and I failed the entry exam into the military. I think you get points for writing your name down, you know? And like, I, I, you need a 30, you need a 30 to pass this test. And I get a 29 and I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I go back six months later and I pass the test. This time, this time I know I'm gonna smoke it. I, this time I'm ready. I get a 31. I get a 31 <laughs> on the test. Like, here's a guy, here's a guy that, that never crossed an academic stage ever. Um, in, in junior high and high school, they just passed me along. And then I failed the entry exam in the military. So I don't have no daddy when I grow up. I see myself as a gang member. I'm a former drug addict. 
uh, I fail almost everything that, that I attempt or I got to do it twice. And so I don't have this real high thought process of myself. And I don't, when I look in the mirror, I don't see a lot. Mm. I'm, I'm just trying to get the discipline. I'm just trying to make it through. But what did that scripture say? God chooses the things that the world looks at, right? And says, you're not going to make nothing of yourself, which is, which is what most people looked at in my yearbook and said, this is least likely. This is a guy that's going to be least likely. Well, just recently I got a, I got a message from a friend on Facebook and he said, Hey, God's real, John. And I said, what do you mean God's real? And he said, I remember you. Hmm. Mm. I, I remember you. And only God can do that. Only hmm. God can do that. Wow. And so, I, so that's why I can't steal God's glory. And that's why your listeners need to know that it's not them that's doing it. It's God that's doing it. And he's going to move them. He's going to move them into the place as long as they stay with him, as long as they're praying, or as long as that prayer is coming in and they yield to him, he's going to get them to where he needs to be. So I end up at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, 82nd Airborne Division. I start out as a truck driver. Again, I just need discipline. That's why I joined the military. I, I love to, I'd love to tell you that I joined the military because I was patriotic, but I wasn't. I, 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 needed, I needed a job and I needed some men in my life that would straighten me out. Well, guess what? I found it. Pick the right place. I yeah. found it. God, God knew that I needed discipline. And oh man, oh sergeant. What were those first days like? Yeah, tell us about. Give me some stories, man. They were hard. And and let me say this: um, I was detoxing in basic training of drugs, and nobody knew wow. it. Oh I was, wow! Because yeah, I, I went in. There was no detoxing process for me. I joined the military, and um, I, I felt like I was coming off drugs because that's that was the lifestyle I was living right before I joined the military. And then I get in, you know, I get in and I see big sergeant, and here I am now, and and these guys are screaming at me, and I'm like, I must have done the wrong thing, you know. Like <laughs> every military, everyone that joins the military, I'm sure doubts at one point in their in their mind when that drill sergeant's in their face, they're like, Did I really make the right decision? And I remember. Back then, there was no, you know, this is 1998, so cell phones weren't really that prevalent. And uh, and so I remember everybody gets a phone call home. Every, it's almost like jail, right? So everybody gets a phone call. <laughs> and a couple of days, like, hey, just let your family know you made it. So, you know, I make a phone call. And I just remember hearing my mom's voice. And just like this, this ball just like wilts up in my throat. And I'm like, mom, you know, here, here I am, this, this former gang member, you know, it's supposed to be all tough. But I'm like. Mom, I don't know if I made the right decision. You know, here I am. But she was like, stick with it. And, and it was the best thing that happened for me. Because just like just like God, you know, the military is meant to to break you down, to build you back up in, in, into a man, into a leader, or into a woman that, that's going to be a leader. And that's what they were doing. They were taking my old life, right? So, so we are, the old things that pass away, now we are new. We're new creations. And that's kind of, in line with what the military is trying to do. They're trying to take that old you and build it back up into something new. And that's, that, that was with my little, my new life. Part of the old you, one of the funniest things that in the book was when you're underneath your bed. Talk, talk about that. This was ingenious. You thought you'd catch some extra sleep. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, they would give us details and basic training and they would tell us like, Hey, if you guys clean, um, you know, or everybody just had to do details. And I said, well, you know what? I got, I got a, I got an idea. I'm going to go under my bed. And so what I did is I propped my hand up and like got it caught in one of the springs. And so it looked like I was wiping things down, but I was actually <laughs> sleeping. 
And it was like, you, you, you get creative. You get creative in the military. But it didn't work out very well. <laughs> no, I actually got hooked up by a drill sergeant. They realized that I was sleeping, and that never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I didn't try. I just didn't want, I just didn't want the repercussions that came with it. Af- Afghanistan, uh, you even mentioned Marcus Luttrell. Talk us through your, your time overseas. I'm curious. Well, you know, we watch uh, the movie Lone Survivor, right? That that was actually Operation Red Wing. Uh, you know, if anyone's ever seen the movie Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg, John Arroyo was in Afghanistan for Operation Red Wing 2005. And, uh, you know, we had got a call over the network that, you know, there were some Navy SEALs that were down and, and they were searching. And so there was a manhunt. There was a manhunt for these Navy SEALs. And it was Green Berets, Army Rangers, you name it. Like every conventional force was going and we were going to go save American lives because those are our brothers. Um, and it was my friends. It was it was actually my friends that found Marcus Luttrell and grabbed them and, and brought him into safety. And so, you know, a lot of times we look back and we see things that are movies today that, that are very spectacular. And. I just look back and remember, like I was there. That was so. I'm trying to remember some of the details of that. That was that was fairly um, high up elevation wise. Didn't you had you all had to make quite a, a trek in there to get there? Correct. Yeah, I wasn't specifically on the mission. I was just in yeah. country when it happened, yeah. and so I, I knew I knew it was happening. Yeah. Uh, one, I just want to make sure I, your listeners don't think that yeah. I'm perceiving that I was on that mission. Um, <laughs> no, but but uh, yes, it was, and so. Like where I was in Afghanistan, I think I was at 8,000 elevation just in Gardesa. When these guys were looking for Marcus Luttrell, like they were trekking up mountain passes. And, and on the movie, on the movie, Marcus Luttrell and his team is actually trying to get down the mountain, right? They're coming down the mountain. And yeah. these special forces detachments were going looking for them. And one of my friends said, you know, because I think it was August time frame when this happened. It's pretty warm. And, yeah. and they got picked up. And so they, what they were told is, hey, guys, we're going to go look for these Navy SEALs and you guys will be back by by, ten, by tonight, by this evening. So they went with their body armor with just like T-shirts on. They didn't take jackets. They didn't take anything. And he said, we nearly froze to death because it ended up becoming like a week-long mission. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's great. So how many, how many um, times did you go uh, downrange, John? How many, how many uh, t- tours were you over there? Yes, sir. So I, I did two Afghanistan tours and then one Iraq tour. And then okay. my final assignment as a Green Beret is I, I travel all over the United States and I tested security at critical infrastructure. Wow. Afghanistan and then, then Iraq, you mentioned as well. Biggest ways your tours overseas changed your view of God and your view of the world? Well, I took... My grandmother, right? So I go back to that to my grandmother that was praying for me, praying, praying that seed, those seed prayers. She gave me a bottle of anointing oil, and she said, "I want you to take, I want you to take this anointing oil, and I want you to put it on everything and everyone before you go anywhere." Back then, I didn't know much about the Bible. I went to church because it was culture, right? On you know, I grew up Catholic, so it was like you know Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday, things like that. You know, we we, we went on the major holidays. But there was no relationship with Christ. I had a, I had faith in Grandma. I didn't have faith in God, hmm. right? So that I was just I'm just being honest. Yeah. He wasn't the he wasn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the God of Grandma. So hmm. I, I I pulled out this bottle. What happened is, so it's a green beret. Here I am, tough guy, super super hardcore green beret, and I, and I we're we're getting ready to go on on a mission. And I would pull out this bottle of anointing. Oh, I had weapon systems at the wazoo. We can call in aircraft, Navy, Air Force aircraft. But before John Arroyo went out that went out in the in, into the, you know, in, 
patrolling, I would pull out this bottle of anointing oil and I would put it on everything, on all our vehicles and all our weapon systems. And I had I had one guy come up to me one day and he said, he said, John, would you would you stop praying? Because nobody's shooting at us and we're a bunch of green berets and, and we wanna we wanna get in some firefights, man. <laughs> <laughs> we we wanna get in some firefights and one and and so our communications expert looks at him. He's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then well, we, so then we go back the next year, we go back the next year and they tell us, Hey, get ready, get ready because you're going to go into a hornet's nest, expect to get blown up, expect to get shot. You name it. So here we are in Bagram. We're getting ready to go in country. We're just returning back for our second rotation. And so what, and so I do, I grab this bottle of anointing oil and I walk over to my vehicles and I start praying over them and I start anointing them with oil. And, and that we got this new medic and he tells the guy that told me not to pray. He said, Hey man, what's he doing? And the guy that told me not to pray told him, just let him go, bro. Just let him go. We all made it back safe. And so what I, what, what I, what I saw later is, is I didn't see it at the time, but I saw the protection. I saw the hand of God. And I remember driving in, in convoys in military convoys with, with my special forces detachment. And I would see children, right. And I would toss candy to them, but I remember yeah. weeping over these children. And I remember having a compassion for these children. And here I am with a 50 cal machine gun in my fingertips. And I'm looking at these children and I have overwhelming compassion for them. And I don't even know why. I don't know. I don't even know why I'm, wh what I'm doing, why I have so much compassion. And I remember praying to a God that I barely knew. And I said, God, every time I lock our eyes, every time I lock eyes with a child, bless them. Bless him, God. Bless him. I didn't even know what I was asking for. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what I was doing. But the Bible says, "Those who are those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God." Mm. Right. So God is praying through me for these mm. children. Why? Because He sends believers, like Dave Reaver, my boss. He said, "I went into Vietnam with an M16, but I returned with a John 3:16." Dave mm. Reaver went back into Vietnam with a with a John 3:16, and because of that, he was discipled by Billy Graham. And Billy Graham told him, Dave, compassion leads to conversion. Why did Dave Reber go back there? Right? Because God sent Christian men and women into Vietnam. Their blood was shed. And so there was a door open there that God can move and save mm -hmm. the Vietnamese people. Yeah. And so, so I believe I was in Afghanistan to, to, sh to share God's compassion. I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. No, that's okay. I, I really want to pick up on this. I actually just finished a book over the weekend. Um about a lot of, of stuff that's kind of gone gone on in, in that world in the last 20 years. And I, I kind of came away thinking, I believe we're trying to do good for these people. But you, you mentioned the candy story. So a, a, a man was sharing a story about something like that, going into a village, sharing candy, trying to uh, engender good good vibes with the locals. And they actually said they had to start posting somebody to stay because when everybody pulled out, all the little boys would beat the snot out of the little girls and take their candy. And that story uh, kind of left me with a bit of hopelessness because, you know, we could neutralize threats and, and, and bad guys and, and, and things, and we can have a discussion about that, but there are limits, I think, this is kind of where I'm at, I'm just thinking out loud, there's limits to what warfare can do, and where warfare can cannot do a job, I think that's like, it's like the gospel is so much more powerful because it can actually change people, 
Right. And, um, then, and so- maybe comment on some of that. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but I, w- I was struck by when you shared the, shared that just now. Well, and, and so when we go in with naturalistic resources and, uh, you know, I go in with candy, this is a lot of these countries that we're in, they're very tribal. Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, usually male dominant countries, especially in the Middle East. Um, and so what happens is you go in there and you you transform a, a community by putting money in it. Right. So that's one thing. Or you bring you bring candy. Well, then it's like the mightier is going to come. Right. So then the Taliban comes in and they're like, I'm going to take back what the Americans gave you. And, and you know, yeah. it, it's kind of like whoever strongest is going to be the leader. And, uh, and which is why some of these guys can, these young kids can go beat up those little girls and take their candy. And one of the things that happens also is it's not a good thing and, and it's not what we intend to, to do, but there's times when we may work with an interpreter, right? We may work with a community, a family. Well, what happens when we leave that protect the protection for that family and that interpreter is gone Yeah. and, they, and, and they're left that, you know, now when the Americans were around, they had big, big, bad American hanging with them. And yeah. when the Americans leave, uh, those guys, they got to leave or they may end up dead. Um, yeah. And so what happens is that's why that's why in Malachi 4, God says, you got to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Mm. Right. It's it's it, that if the, Dave Reaver going back with the gospel was going to transform them. First, he came with a compassion mission, right? So same thing. We give him some candy. Dave yeah. ran into Vietnam and with a, with a catheterization lab to win some hearts and minds, to build some relationships, right? You got to build relationships first, right? And God's the same way. He's a relational God. But eventually, you got to come into the conversion because that is what is going to sustain a society. That is what's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the, and the young men to their wives and all these things like that. And so the yeah. gospel is what changes them and will yeah. change a society, not your candy. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So I, I, you mentioned it, Dave Reaver it, a couple, a couple times. He wrote a book called welcome home Davey. I've read it. He's at his story's had a big impact on my life. That's how we got connected. Um, so if <laughs> listeners haven't checked out his book, I encourage you to do so. One of the things I'm curious as I'm listening is, you have an incredible story of growing up where you're in gangs, fatherless home, all of this. I'm curious how much God had to strip away in those years afterwards. And how did he systematically do that through your time in the military, uh, through your time, um, overseas, but then also post this dramatic shooting at Fort hood. What are, what ways has he, stripped away those things that maybe you clung to in the past and kind of um, created a new identity in a, in a sense. Well, um, what happened is after, when I joined the military, I, I wasn't doing drugs anymore, but I got into drinking because it was like a legal drug. When I was in 82nd Airborne, they said that we were the most physically fit alcoholics. <laughs> and, and so, but then when I got married, I told my wife, I said, hey, you want to hang out with me? Uh, grab, grab one of those cans right there. And so th- this time I wasn't on the destructive path. I, br- I brought a co-pilot with me. And in 2009, we hit rock bottom. Boom. And that's when the Lord was like, are you done? Because he, the Lord knew a storm was coming. I didn't know a storm was coming, but the Lord knew a storm was coming. So in 2009 is when we actually walked into a non-denominational church. And because we needed to be Psalms 1, we needed to be the tree planted into the rivers of living water because a storm was coming and a drought was coming. And if we didn't, if we didn't get planted into his word, he was going to, we were going to be completely wiped out. 
And it was there that God began to transform us and he began to cut things away. And so if you if you remember the parable in the Bible where Jesus talks about a man that owns a field and he and he went out every year for three years and he's seeking fruit off this tree. And he says, you know what? I go to this tree every year and there's no fruit. Cut it down. He tells the vineyard keeper to cut it down. And the vineyard keeper says, sir, give me one more year. Give me one more year. My wife and I were the one more year. We were the tree that Jesus said, Papa, wait, 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 wait. There's something special about John and Angel. And maybe your listeners too, maybe they feel like, maybe they feel like they're that tree and maybe they feel like there's a drought and, and they're dry and nothing they do is good. And so what happened is, and, and to answer your question, Jesus transplanted us. Well, what happens when you transplant a tree, right? When you, when you have to take the root system, usually the strongest the strongest part of that tree is not the branches. It's the root system, right? Because it, it wants to hang on. That's where the nutrients come from. So as Jesus began to, to take us out of the ground because he was going to plant us next to the rivers of living water where we were going to bear fruit in, good, in due season. Well, the, all, those, all those roots that were drinking relationships with friends that weren't good for us, he began to cut those out of our lives. He began to cut all those, right? Because in order to break free out of the ground, he had to cut all those root systems that were tying us down. And it was all those relationships. It was alcoholism. It was um, watching things that we shouldn't be watching, you know, pornography. Well, what did uh, alcoholism, when you say that, what, what did that look like? Is, is that, are you drinking uh, what, a pack a day? Well, what's, what's that look like? No. So it, it was like, it was like every weekend was beers and barbecues, man. It was yeah. like, it was like a block party with our, with our neighbors every weekend. And so I can expect to be hanging out with my neighbors and having barbecues and beers every weekend. And, and they, it was just a lifestyle like that. Uh, and then typically my wife and I were the drunkest people at the party by the end of the night and we were falling all over. We were falling on the ground. And, and I remember, uh, and, and again, I remember that, that I felt like now as I look back, like God speaking to my heart and, and he, and there was one weekend I didn't drink and that, and I didn't, and I didn't know why, because typically I partake like everybody else. And this one weekend, I felt like God said, John, this weekend, I, I'm going to show you what I see. And so the desire to drink was gone that weekend. And he allowed me to see what my wife looked like at the party. He, al he allowed me to see what my friends look like. And it, my wife was falling on the ground. And he said, this is what I see when I look at you and your wife. He gave me a glimpse of what he got to see of what my life looked like. And it was then when I was like, whoa, like, God, we need to start changing some things. And then about that time in 2009 is when he led us into a church. We hit rock bottom. My wife and I hit rock bottom. Here's what happened. We went to a party that I was set. I said I wasn't going to drink and I ended up drinking. And the next day I woke up and uh, I get a phone call from a friend that says, hey, do you remember what you did yesterday? And I was like, that was the worst. Those are the worst phone calls, the worst text mm -hmm. messages. And I was like, uh, no, he said, you actually hit on every wife at the party. But you know what? I was so drunk. I didn't remember. And my wife was so drunk. She didn't remember. So she couldn't back me up or she couldn't say, hey, what are you doing? Because she was just as drunk as I was. And that's when we hit rock bottom. When we got led into a church, a non-denominational church. And that's when the relationship started. That's when that's when Jesus began to transplant us. And all those relationships of all those people that we were hanging the beers and the booze on the weekends. Uh, you know, barbecues and beers on the weekends, they began to go and God began to change the desires. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was a process. But during that time from 2009 to 2013 and right up into 2014 is when I began to tell everybody about this Jesus, which is why Ezra, I believe that the bullet struck me directly in the voice box. It could have hit me in the eye. 
It could have hit me in the arm. It could have hit me in the leg, hmm. but it didn't. It didn't. Because after 2009, when I fell in love with this Jesus and I began to uh, understand him and, and study his word and learn more about him, I believe the enemy said, we need to shut this guy up. And so sometimes I'll tell people and I'll tell your listeners, what is, what is a thing in your life that is going to bring God glory? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it you? Because that's, that's where you'll probably find your biggest battle. What do wow. I use today? What do I use today? I use my voice. Where did the bullet strike? Where did the bullet strike me? Directly in the voice box. Wow. I was just reading this morning from uh, Matthew five, Dave, and um, it's just meditating on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you if you look at that, uh, let's see here, verse number, um, you know, nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Yeah. And then the very next verse, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a strong correlation between people who are wanting to bring God's kingdom to the earth, peace, bringing, being peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Yeah. And then directly there's persecution. <clears throat> and uh, it's interesting when we bring so many different people on that, that the enemy likes to strike in these ways, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's interesting. Just the follow-up to that is you should rejoice and be exceeding glad when all of that happens. Like you're doing God's work and, uh, just, I mean, talk about an otherworldly perspective to be joyful when people persecute you and say all things against you falsely and, and some, enduring some of the things that John has um, because this is not a flesh and blood struggle that we're in. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. And I think, I think your point, John, is excellent. Well, let, let me add this real quick, guys, too, because there's, there's going to be a lot of people that they have callings on their life and they don't know it yet. And, and, and God's going to get ready to use them in mighty ways. And, and for your listeners, get ready. So in two, when I became a Green Beret in 2004, the motto to Green Beret is Deo Presso Liber. And that means free the oppressed. Yeah. Well, in Luke, in Isaiah 61, Isaiah prophesies what Jesus is going to read, right? Yes. In Luke 4.18, when Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? to free the oppressed. Yeah. I just I read that this morning, Isaiah 61 right. and Matthew 5. That's, That's right. so cool. Yeah. And, and so the, so what happened is I, I didn't realize until now that God has called me. The day I donned my green beret, God was actually commissioning me into his army, that I would be spiritual special forces for him. He knew I was a green beret. He knew that I would get up off the ground, whether I was bleeding or not bleeding, because, because my heart wouldn't let me quit. And so for your listeners, I want them to know that there's an assignment on their life and they may not know it yet, right? The Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon them. But why is God, why did God save me? Well, he said it, get up so your wife won't die, right? So what was he saying essentially? Free the oppressed, get up mm -hmm. so that others can live. Get up mm -hmm. so that others can live. Yeah, powerful. Hey, close this out with this it's memorial day what does that day mean to you and give us a challenge just to close us out with this what's what's a way that we can better remember and honor the service that so many in our, our country uh have have done to as you mentioned free the oppressed well one thing i want to say is to everyone that's given their life for our nation thank you thank you uh, for those that were injured and for our nation, thank you. But here's what I, here's my challenge to you, America. 
is that those people whose names are on all those Vietnam Memorial walls and the 9-11 and the desert storm, they did it with you in mind. They raised their right hand freely. Some of them, maybe not Vietnam, right? But but they they went to war so that your life can be better. Not so that you could be depressed, not so that you could be stressed. So as we remember them, your life should be a hundred thousand. I don't know how many, I don't know how many thousands of soldiers have given their lives. So that should be how much times better your life should be. You shouldn't be living stressed, depressed, uh, in anxiety on suicide because somebody willingly gave their life because you're worth it. So you should be living your life and their life. <laughs> you should that. have hope. You should have joy. You should have peace because someone said, you know what, Ezra, David, and, and every listener, call your name out. That person that willingly gave their life and that we're going to remember on Memorial Day, they said, she's worth it. He's worth it. So you shouldn't be living depressed. You should be living a thriving life. You should be living a life for them and for you. Hmm. Best places people can find you online. They can go to Facebook, John Arroyo, or they can go to getupwithjohn.com or attackthathome.com. I'm also part of Dave Reaver Ministries, and they can go to davereaver.org and they can find us. John, thank you so much. Thanks, David, John. Any last words you want to add? No, thank you very much. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see God working in your life. I can't wait to see what he does next with you. Well, and if they want to get the book, they can go to um, attackthathome.com or they can go wherever books are sold. Yep, we'll put a link in the show notes below. John, thank you once again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 